Well, good morning, Tri-Village. It is good to be with you. My name is Phil Shields. I'm one of the pastors from Wheaton Bible Church, our North Avenue campus uh, in West Chicago. And I got to tell you, it's been a couple months since I've been here with you, and I am just really thrilled to be here and excited to be here because your pastor, Pastor Will, can't stop talking about you. And we know he talks a lot and really fast. And so uh, he has been talking about what God's doing here in your lives. We're just praising the Lord for uh, how he's using you in this community. Um, We continue to celebrate all that God's doing. So it's really a joy to be here uh, with you. So uh, as we start off, we're going to be back in our series uh, titled The Upside Down Kingdom, looking at this uh, sermon that Jesus gave. And so if you have a Bible or uh, it's on your phone or something, you can get that out and turn to Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we'll be there uh, this morning. So as a pastor, this is probably not the place that I should start a sermon, uh, but I'm going to go there anyway. Uh, I don't know about you, but I am really thankful that the election season is over, okay? Now, uh, I love that we have the opportunity to vote, uh, but I am really grateful, and one of the reasons is because I am really uh, excited to get back to whenever I sit down with my family and we're watching TV, I'm at a state right now because of everything that's been going on that I am actually begging companies to sell me products for Christmas. That's the the state that I am in now. I am wanting those commercials back. Um, The reason is, is because as we were going through this election season, I really think that the election season was showing us where we have gone uh, in our society and as as a group of people. Because uh, as we started uh, watching these commercials or as you were getting these mailers, I I feel like my uh, desk at home was getting stacks and stacks and stacks of these mailers uh, during that that season. But one of the things that I started realizing as we were watching commercials and seeing what was happening was that instead of dealing with issues— that we ended up becoming judgmental or criticizing the character of other people. And we started falling in that and started uh, missing actually what was taking place. It got to a point that one night I was watching uh, some show with my daughter and some of those commercials came on and she looked at me at one point and said, well, that was mean. And I thought, yeah, that's exactly where we have gone is that we have, uh, we have become a society that over time has become really judgmental and critical. And so one of the reasons for that is because in many ways, although we are frustrated with that, all of us enter this room this morning and our etern- internal default mode is judgmental and critical. It is. That's what happens in our life. We tend to be that way. And so the text that we're going to look at this morning wants to deal with that within our lives. And so one of the things I want you to see this morning as we dive into this is that as followers of Christ, what we are called to is that instead of judging others, we should be serving them with words of grace. 
we should be serving other uh, people with words of grace. In fact, if, uh, if you and I were walking in downtown Chicago and all the people uh, in their busyness on their way to wherever they're going, if we were to stop them and start doing a survey, start asking, you know, what is it that you would say that the Bible says? I would imagine those that have never read the Bible or opened it or know it that well would start using some phrases along the lines that uh, the, the Bible says not to do certain things. And so our text this morning, I believe, would probably be one of the top things that people would give us in our survey. The Bible says not to judge. In fact, that is so prevalent that I want you to see a screenshot from my computer that if you type in the words the Bible says not to, the first thing that comes up is that the Bible says not to judge. Then look at what it says. The Bible says not to eat meat, or the Bible says not to eat pork. So all of you that had bacon this morning, we are praying for you, okay? Uh, But then it says the Bible says not to swear, and hopefully nobody cut you off on the way to church and you ended up going down that path. Uh, But the last thing is that the Bible says not to worry. So Google has even put this up, starting with judging, and then the last piece is the Bible says not to worry, which is so fascinating because whenever you look at our text this morning and the Sermon on the Mount, what we find is those two things are prevalent. Jesus addresses those things. And so this morning, we're going to dive deep uh, into six verses. So I want you to look there at Matthew 7, starting at verse 1. This is what Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So Father, I pray that in these moments that you would speak through your word. I pray that you would remove the distractions that may be uh, within each of us. And that you would open our hearts and our minds to whatever you want to say to us. I pray that you would start with my own heart. That you would continue to convict me and do a work in me. And that you would flow from there and that you would be doing a work in all of us. And so we humbly come before you and say, have your way. Have your way this morning. Invade this place. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So I want to start by going through this text, and we're going to start at the first verse, and I want to look at what Jesus says there at the beginning, because he starts with a command. He starts by giving us a command. Now, what you have to understand is that this piece in the sermon that Jesus is giving, you can picture uh, on this mount that there are people that are listening, and he ends up giving this command that is actually following another command. And you guys talked about it. Pastor Will talked about this other command last week. 
And so I want you to understand the context that whenever Jesus was giving this sermon, that there was no written word. There were no cell phones where you could pull up a Bible. And so there were no chapters or verses. So when you're looking in your Bible and you see those little numbers, none of that was there. It was like Jesus was just speaking. And so what he ends up doing in this section of the sermon is really, really interesting because he ends up giving his followers two commands. And here's the deal. These two commands are for those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ that have surrendered to him. He says there are two things and he's not giving options. And so last week you looked at the first command and the first command was this. It's right at the end of chapter six where he ends up saying, therefore, do not worry. So there's a command, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So look at what Jesus does. He tells his followers this command, do not worry, and then he leads into another one where he says, do not judge. So I was, uh, I was texting with Will this week, and we were kind of going back and forth on this text. And one of the things that came out of this was, why in the world does Jesus end up using these two commands? Do not worry and do not judge. Why does he put these together? I mean, if we're thinking of that flow, he's putting them right there. And so I got to ask you, what is it that you worry about? What is it that you worry about? Maybe after last Sunday's sermon, you started thinking about it and you understood what the things are that you worry about in your life. Or maybe you're going, okay, well, the things that I worry about are my financial situation or my health or, or things within my family or my hope or, or, or job, whatever it is. But we have all these things that we can worry about and we, and we can focus on. So John, John has worked for this company and he has reached all of his sales goals. I mean, he is climbing the corporate ladder and he's doing everything right and he's feeling really good about himself and all of this is happening, there's success that's coming, but what John notices is that his boss, the manager of his team, ends up paying attention to all the other sales associates. And so even though John is doing and meeting all these goals, it seems like everybody else on the team is getting uh, the recognition and the attention from the manager. Over time, John starts to worry. Why is this? What is happening uh, around me? Why is this taking place in my life? And, and if I'm doing all this, am I going to have a place here in this company? He starts to worry about where he's at in his life, in his stage of life. Starts worrying about a little bit of his finances, of what's going to happen if I'm not getting this recognition. What ends up happening is that over time, John starts worrying about this so much that whenever he is in his meetings with his team, he starts saying things under the breath. He starts criticizing his boss, or he starts criticizing uh, his other coworkers. And what he starts criticizing them on are the very things that he is worrying about. See, what we end up finding is that whenever Jesus ends up giving commands. It's something that we have to pay attention to in the sermon. And what Jesus is doing here is he's pointing out that the things that we tend to worry about are the things that we tend to judge other people on. So if I'm worrying about something in my life, I'm going to end up looking for that in other people and start criticizing in those areas. 
And so worry tends to move, uh, be one of the things that tends to move towards judgment. So Jesus says not to worry, and then do not judge. Now this is key because the first command, do not worry, is really a personal command. It's this thing that happens within us. It has nothing to do with anybody else around us. It's just a personal thing. The second command, though, is not just a personal command because the benefit of do not judging actually benefits the whole community. So here's the deal. Jesus is giving this sermon knowing that at some point he is going to set up his church. And what he wants is that there is going to be a community that actually turns the world upside down and reveals a kingdom that is not of this world but a heavenly kingdom. And so he ends up saying, do not judge, because if you end up walking into a community where people are always judging, do you want to stay? Not at all. So what you find in Acts 2, where the church starts, is that people are drawn to the church, they're drawn to the gospel, because of the way that they are treating one another and caring for one another. It's not because they're judging one another, they're drawn to the grace that's being revealed. So Jesus ends up saying, okay, this is a command to to make sure that you are not being critical of one another. Now, before we move on, what we have to understand is that we are to be wise. It doesn't mean that when when false truth or, or false lies are being presented that we don't speak up for truth. It means that we are not going to be critical of one another. We're going to look at that in a second, but here's what I want you to see. If you jump down to verse 15 in this chapter, what you end up seeing in verse 15 is that Jesus ends up saying, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Now, why is Jesus saying that? He is saying that because you have to make a judgment call. He's saying, you got to look out for this. you got to watch this. So he's not telling us to not be wise. What he's saying is, you are not to be critical of one another. And whenever we look at that, we have to say, what does Jesus mean by the word judge? And here's what I want you to understand. What Jesus wants us to understand, and whenever he uses this word judge, is that judgment, this judgment is an undue harshness. It's an undue harshness or it's this handing out of a destructive criticism to someone around you. They don't deserve it, but you're judging them based off of something that's going on within you. And you do that without ever looking in the mirror at yourself. That's what Jesus is talking about here. So whenever we look at this, the reason he's saying this is because we have got to be a community. The church, Tri-Village Church, has got to be a community that's willing to look in the mirror instead of being critical against one another without looking within. So whenever we start looking at this, what we have to understand is that the church often gets a bad reputation. Because what happens is is that there's a reputation that we don't only judge the world, we also judge one another. That we judge one another way too easy. We think that we live a holier lifestyle than the person next to us, and we do that and we come to those conclusions way too quickly in our lives. 
And Jesus is saying it's, it's, it can't be that way. See, the reason that Jesus is saying this is because in his time when he's giving the sermon, there's this group known as the Pharisees. They are the religious leaders of the Jewish people. And they have set themselves up and they have judged the people like they were God themselves. And so instead of looking at the care for people, they are judging them. Instead of caring for their soul, they are judging them. And what they never understood was that at some point, they would be judged themselves. And so because of that, when, when we're seeing this, when we become a person that is judgmental, what we are actually doing is we are setting ourselves up saying that we know God's word more we know God's standards more than the person that we are looking down upon. Amen. That is a slippery, slippery slope. See, this is not the way that Jesus wants his followers to be. Amen. He is seeking humility in his, in his followers. He also says that there's a fallout that comes. If you look uh, in verse 2, that there's a, we aren't to judge because there's a fallout that's going to happen uh, towards us. He ends up saying, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So let me, uh, let me just be honest with you here. None of you go uh, and work with me each day. Uh, many of you don't. There's some of you in the room that do. And I'll, get, I'll be honest, there are times that I enter my workplace and I am critical of those around me. It's something, it's my internal default mode that I end up doing that. You know, there's times that I can, I can look at this and, and I can look at what is happening with my coworkers and I can judge them on the results or the things that are happening and I, be, I can be critical of it. So let me use this as an example. Um, and this is not anything that has happened, okay? Um, but Chad, I could look at Chad and I can enter and I can be really critical maybe of some things that are taking place and what he's doing and, and why isn't Will holding Chad to this and, and that sort of thing? Well, that is just awful. And then my boss comes to me and I hear the words, and I hear him holding me accountable to the very things that I thought Chad could be accountable for. And do you know what my reaction normally is? My reaction is normally like, what? Why? Why would you hold me accountable to that? Why would that be the thing that you're doing this? I become frustrated. And what is happening is in that moment, I am being measured by the same measure that I gave to Chad. And Jesus is saying, watch out. Because that's what will come. And when we are doing that, when we are shocked by that, what it means is that we are living as ignorant disciples whose flaws are more visible to the people around us than to ourselves. See, whenever I uh, place judgment on, on Chad, all of you would be able to see my flaws except me, myself. And Jesus is saying, watch out. But why is that? It's because it seems to be easier for us because of, of this conflict inside. It's easier to criticize and to judge others than it is to criticize ourselves. 
And so we have to remember that instead of judging others, we are to serve them with words of grace. We're to serve them with those words of grace that Jesus speaks. And so he gives this command. Now, if we stopped right there and we said, have a great week, you would go and you would say, okay, well then how do I do this? Well, it means that I got to work a lot harder at this. And I would bet that... uh, I would say maybe 99.5% of us would fail by 5 o'clock. We just can't do it. Until we realize that Jesus gives us a process to get to the place where we aren't judging others in that way. And what we find is that in verses 3 through 5, he gives us this process. Let's read it again and look at it. It says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is a beautiful section because it's almost as if Jesus is going back to how he grew up, this carpenter. He's like, oh, I got this story. It's going to connect with him. So I'm going to go back to using wood and we're going to talk about it there. But notice how Jesus starts this this little uh, picture that he's painting. He's going there because if you and I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are messengers of grace. We have been given a purpose to set up and to be part of setting up an upside-down kingdom that looks vastly different than the kingdom of this world. And he starts by asking a question, why do you look at the speck? The reason he starts with why here is because this becomes an identity issue for a disciple. He wants to deal with your identity, the the struggle of your identity. That when you're critical, it's not that person that he's worried about that time. It's you. Because there's an identity issue that's going on within you, an identity struggle. And so he says, I want to give a grace process of how to get past that. And so this is what he does. He ends up, if you look at verse 3, he ends up uh, saying this, why do you look? And what he is getting at there is that you need to start by reflecting on the source. You need to reflect on the source. And what I mean by that is that you are reflecting on the source of the thing that is making you look elsewhere instead of in the mirror. What is the source of what is happening there? Why is this happening? Why are you judging those around you instead of looking at yourself? So uh, I was younger, uh, and we were, Angie and I were married. We were living in central Illinois, and we were so in love and excited because we had just bought our first house. I mean, we were so excited about that. Now, let me tell you, it was the worst house you could possibly buy. I mean, I I barely know how to swing a hammer. And there were all sorts of things that had to be done in this house. I mean, there were things that were just falling apart, and it was this horrible thing. But you know what? You look past that because you're just so excited. And then at one point, my little brother... And let me just make that statement. He's my little brother. He ends up telling me that they purchased a house up here. 
uh, in Aurora. And so I can remember coming up to see their new house and I pulled in the driveway and from the moment I pulled in, I hated his house. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at it, I'm going, this is my little brother. What in the world? I mean, here's the deal. His windows actually stayed up. <laughs> while mine... I had to put things in there to make them stay up. I mean, he had uh, all these things, this beautiful landscape, and he had this, this beautiful home. And I can remember that early on, I started within my heart. I mean, things were just starting to turn. And that whole way, the drive back, I was telling my wife, man, who knows what's happening with his finances? I mean, who knows if they're going to be able to keep that house. I can't imagine that they did that, that they bought that house, because there's no way they can afford that. Now, let me just tell you, I don't know anything about his finances. But I started being critical of everything that he was doing. Now, my wife, I'm so thankful for her, because she basically looked at me and said, you're an idiot. <laughs> And she said, you have, to, you have to do some thinking here. You have to start thinking about what's going on. And so as I started reflecting on what was happening, the problem was not my brother or the fact that he bought a new house. The source of my criticism, the source of my judgment was my personal jealousy. See, the things I may say about someone else are probably false. It probably means that there is something going on within me. And so we have to reflect on the source. And so I couldn't be happy for him because jealousy was grabbing my heart. And so when we look at this and Jesus says, why? It's because we have to reflect on the source and we have to name the source. So here's the deal. For some of you, you are walking in here and you have been critical, you have been judgmental, possibly even this morning. And my question is, what's the source of that? Maybe you're being that way with your spouse. Or maybe it's with a coworker or a fam some family member. You've been going after this. What's the source? What's happening there? What, what is it? Have you spent the time to actually reflect? Why am I stating this? Why am I feeling this way? And so we have to reflect on the source. Then, once we name it, and I want to challenge you that today you name the source. And once you name it, then Jesus shows something else in verses 4 and 5. See, he ends up asking, How? He knows his disciples want to help other people, but he's going to ask, how can you do that? When you know what the source of your criticism is, how are you able to help other people? And when we answer the, the question of how, we have to answer with, we can't. And if we can't, then we have to do something. And so the second thing we, we have to look at here is that we have to repent of our hypocrisy. We have to repent of it. I mean, if we don't spend time reflecting on it, we can't repent of the sinfulness that's in our life. And so we can't serve others with grace. We can't speak to others in grace until we take care of that sinful source that's in our life and repent and go to the cross and say, Jesus, this is my sin. 
This is what I am dealing with, and I ask that you remove this from my life. I ask that you take this and forgive me for this. And so until we repent, we can't move on. So my question is, are you repenting of the things that are going on in your life? Because here's the thing, your life is busy, your life is full, and what often takes place is we overlook the step of repentance and we just go on with our life and Jesus is saying, reflect and repent. And that's what we are called to as disciples. Now here's the deal, Jesus knows that if we're disciples, we have a heart to want to serve others and want to care for others. But if we neglect these two pieces... Those acts are not acts of righteousness. Those are acts for our selfish desires to want to feel good about ourselves. So here's the deal. When we reflect and we repent, Jesus ends up saying that something's going to happen. Look at verse 5. He says, you hypocrite. He doesn't want his disciples to have that title. He says, first take the plank out of your own eye and then look at this and then you will see clearly. He's making a promise. He's saying, deal with the reflection. Reflect and repent. And once you do that, you will see. I will make it so you will be able to see how to help your brother and sister next to you. I promise that you'll be able to do that. I'm not going to take that away from you. I'm actually going to put it into you. And because you have looked at the source in your own life and you repented it for it, you are able to meet the needs and to carry the weight and walk with the people next to you that are dealing with that same sin. So whenever this takes place, what we have to understand in verse 5 is that we have to reveal our story. See, we walk in, we have become a church that wants to put on our mask and hide the sin that we have dealt with instead of saying that this is what God has done in my life and he's transformed me from it. His grace has rescued me. And until we start being the disciples that reflect, repent, and reveal, we're not going to be presenting the upside-down kingdom that, that Jesus Christ wants. Amen. So in this, whenever we're, we're looking at this, I want to ask you, have you revealed your story? Have you talked about the story that is happening in your life? See, whenever we can deal with those, Jesus is going to say, you're going to help others through this. And I'm going to walk with you through this. So whenever I see the sin that's happening in my brother, I can go to him instead of just pointing it out, I can say, this is what I dealt with. And this is what Jesus did in my life. And that grace can rescue you as well. See, this path that we're looking at here, determines on if you are looking at people through the lens of judgment or through the lens of grace. Amen. And I don't know where you're at. But what I believe is that what Jesus wants here is not only instead of, of judging others that we're speaking uh, words of grace, that we are also, instead of criticizing others, we're going to feed their souls with words of grace. We're going to feed them with what Jesus has done. And so who are you feeding? And have you taken the proper steps? I don't know um, if you have experienced this, but um, you might have seen it on uh, TV, but for so some reason, whenever you get on an airplane, there are a series of announcements. 
Maybe you've never heard those announcements, or maybe you're one of those people that put the headphones on and you ignore the announcements, and I hope you make it through the next thing uh, that happens on a plane. But here's what normally happens. You end up getting on the plane and these announcements come, and then you hear this announcement. In case there is a loss of cabin pressure, a yellow mask will drop from the compartment above you. And when that happens, we ask that you put this mask on yourself before you help the children or the people next to you. Now, it seems like a really selfish thing. But what happens is, is if there's a loss of cabin pressure and these drop and you start to try to help the people next to you, it means that you're breathing in this uh, this air that has been uh, filled with all sorts of chemicals and debris and all of that. And what tends to happen to people is that they become dizzy and they eventually pass out. But if you put this on yourself, you start breathing in the clean air. And then you can turn to the person next to you and you're able to provide clean air to them. See, until you deal with the grace that Jesus offers you, you can't offer the grace to those around you. And so whenever, whenever you're looking at this, we have to understand that if we are spending our time criticizing others because of maybe the knowledge we have of God's word and all that, we are not feeding them with words of grace. And so my challenge to us uh, this morning, whenever we look at Jesus' sermon, is that we will be disciples that are feeding and speaking grace into other people. So whenever this takes place, you know, Jesus is going through this section and he's going to it. And then he hits this last verse of verse six that we're looking at this morning. And this seems like such a strange verse. Look at what he says. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. See, Jesus walks through the command. He walks through this process because he wants to build up disciples who are full of grace and truth. Because he knows that we have to deal with other things. And so disciples that are full of grace and truth are also filled with humility. And then when we're filled with humility, we start looking around and we want to help others. And whenever Jesus talks about this, we have to say, what is he talking about? And what we have to understand is that in the ancient world, these, these uh, pigs and dogs, whenever he's giving this illustration, are referring to people who are completely against or rejecting wisdom and truth in any form. They're fighting against it. They don't want it. They're hostile to it. They, they're hostile to any uh, criticism or truth that is coming their way. And so they, uh, they look at that and they bury it. They trample over it. And then they turn and they fight you. And so Jesus is saying that in this case, don't waste your wisdom, the wisdom that you have experienced on people who won't listen. Now this sounds harsh, but it paints a picture of what we are then called to do. See, you might have a loved one 
that you want to know the truth of the gospel and, and you've been talking to them and talking to them and, and they're just, they're not seeing it, they're not getting it, they don't want to surrender to it. And the problem is, is that you're doing a lot of talking, but you're not doing a lot of praying. And so whenever he's saying this is don't waste your wisdom that you need to go to him. He is the one that is going to make the move in someone's life. He's going to one that's, be the one that opens the doors. You're just the humble servant that's willing to go, but you're going to be wise as a disciple. And when people are trampling on that, on that pearl, that, that jewel of the gospel, you might have to step away. But you pray, Lord, open the opportunities. Open up more. If it's not me that gets to, maybe it's somebody else. But I ask, Lord, that you would have your way there. Do whatever you can. But you don't stop. It means that there's somebody else that you need to go and reveal your story to and talk to. It doesn't mean that you're, you're done completely because what it means is that, when, remember, he's going to open your eyes so you will see clearly to who it is you're to serve and to speak words of grace into so he paints this picture of that you are going to be a wise disciple. So my question for Tri Village is this. What are you being known for in the Tri Village area? Is this a church that is going to be a church that's full of grace and truth? Or is this going to be a church that, that speaks criticism to, towards one another or isn't open to what God is doing there? See, he's wanting to set up a kingdom that is radically different. And in order to do that, he needs followers that are radically different than those around them. And may that be true of us. Let's pray.